0: Last week, I had the honor and the pleasure of speaking with Takira Winfield-Dixon about what it means to her to be an unapologetic Black woman. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, I encourage you to go back, but not before we get into this episode with Julia Becker-Collins. and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Julia Becker Collins is the hub on which vision advertising turns. As the Chief Operating Officer, she's responsible for everything from day-to-day operations to marketing and business strategy with clients. Under her leadership, this 100% women owned and run marketing agency continues to grow. Julia is also the co founder of the Metro West Women's Network and led the company as its first president for two years. In 2016, Julia was awarded the Distinguished Alum Award by the University of Massachusetts Amherst Women, Gender, and Sexuality Studies Department. In 2019, she won the 40 Under 40 Award from the Worcester Business Journal. In 2020, Julia was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. The COVID-19 crisis complicated matters as she had to navigate the healthcare system and help ensure the financial security of vision advertising during the crisis. An avid endurance athlete before her illness, Julia works mid-treatment to rebuild. Hey, Julia, it's so good to have you. How are you today?
1: Thanks so much for having me. I am great.
0: Good to hear. We are on Diversity Dish, of course, as you know. And usually before I get into the bulk of what we're going to talk about, the entree, I'd like to talk about you. What are you passionate about right now?
1: Oh, what I am passionate about right now? I am training for a marathon right now Mm. um, which in New England is a little crazy because it's about to get into winter and there's (laughs) zero fun things about that in New England I'm binge watching for probably the fourth time the West Wing oh Um, my gosh right I know it's kind (laughs) of like emotional therapy leading up to the election um and I am trying to spend good quality time with my two cats and with my husband. So those are probably the big things right now. So, yeah,
0: it sounds really good to me. What is your superpower then? What would you call your superpower?
1: Oh, that is a great question. My superpower. I would say my superpower is the ability to stay calm during very stressful situations. I am really good at, you know, if you have like an emotional, you know, range of like one to 10, let's say, and, you know, most people kind of go back and forth between like, you know, something like a two to a nine. And depending on what happens during the day, I tend to stay somewhere, especially professionally, I tend to stay somewhere between like a four and a six. So I'm very, very calm, even in the most stressful situations, because I run a marketing agency. It's not, we're not curing cancer over here. So it's really just, you know, everything can be solved. And if it can't be solved, we can learn from it. And there's nothing worth crying over and there's nothing worth losing your mind over. And let's just figure it out. I'm really good at problem solving and kind of breaking problems apart and figuring out how to move past them rather than seeing like, okay, well, this is a disaster and we're all going to lose our minds. (laughs) No, it's not a disaster. Let's just like let's just solve the problem that's probably sure. my superpower being incredibly calm during stressful situations
0: yeah that's that's a good one to have i think so you did kind of mention that you're not over there curing cancer but i do know that that is part of your story so that's my next question for you can you tell us just a little bit about your story so that people can know how resilient you are how <laughs> you are
1: yes so Like you said, or briefly mentioned, I am battling cancer right now. So at the beginning of the COVID crisis, I was not only working to stabilize the financial future of my company, just like so many people that are listening right now, um, Mm -hmm. you know, transitioning from an office to a work from home space and trying to make sure that the financial future of my company was set applying for the PPP loan, helping my clients do the same thing, trying to put out additional content for small businesses to support them, probably working more hours than I've ever worked in my professional life, to be honest, and being an extrovert, trying to deal with the fact that I was seeing nobody because nobody was seeing anybody at that point, Um, which is just emotionally incredibly difficult. I was also going through a personal struggle of the long and arduous process of the testing to determine that I had thyroid cancer. It really, the timing was just insane that it started at the beginning of the COVID crisis. I had an appointment with my primary care physician, just an annual physical, like Mm -hmm. we should all have. Mm -hmm. And I almost canceled it because I was so busy with work and I'm really grateful that I didn't. And I have a great primary care physician and she takes amazing care of me. And she was, you know, she ran blood work and she did all the normal tests and she was feeling my neck, just like, you know, they check the glands and they check the thyroid and, you know, they do a breast check and they do all, they listen to your heart and kind of all the different things. And she was feeling Mm -hmm. my neck and she looks me dead in the eye and she says, you have a mass on your throat. And I was like, okay, that's not good. Like it's never, right. you know, she got real quiet. She said that. And she's like, okay, so she's holding my, my throat and right where your Adam's apple would be if you were a man, she mm-hmm. goes, I need you to swallow for me. Mm-hmm. So I swallowed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And she says, okay, so that's your thyroid. Your thyroid is a butterfly shaped gland. That is where your Adam's apple would be if you were a man um, mm-hmm. and it moves when you swallow And so she could tell it was the thyroid that had the mass on it. And she said, okay, it could Mm -hmm. be, it could be benign happens to lots of women, mainly Mm -hmm. women actually get masses on their thyroid, just like you could have a benign cyst in your breast. It could be a fatty mass. Who knows what we're going to send you for an ultrasound. So the next week she sends me for an ultrasound. It was on a Friday. I'm, you know, chatting with the ultrasound tech. And then the ultrasound tech got real quiet and they can't say anything to you. And that's how you know there's a problem.
0: That's how you know. (laughs) That's how you know.
1: And then that day, the same day, and it was a Friday and my doctor calls me after 5 PM. And anytime a doctor calls you after 5 PM, you know, it is a real big problem. And she calls me and she says that, the results are concerning and she wants to send me for a biopsy and her office would call me on Monday to schedule the biopsy. But over that weekend is when the Commonwealth of Massachusetts shut down for COVID. Yeah. So nobody called me. So I never got the call to schedule the biopsy. So now I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, not only to help my company and to run the company and to, you know, renegotiate all the things I man- uh, managed with the company and to help my clients, et cetera, et cetera. I'm now also trying to figure out how to deal with hospital systems and get this testing done. The hospital system that my doctor was in was hit so hard by COVID that they couldn't even schedule the test, let alone get the test done. And I'm sitting here going, oh my God, I could have cancer. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. So I got in touch with my cousin who is an oncologist in Colorado. I sent him the ultrasound results and he helped me figure out what kind of doctor, what kind of specialist I should be seeing. I transferred all my records over to an endocrinologist at a different hospital system who was able to schedule a telehealth appointment with me almost the next day. Mm -hmm. She looked at the ultrasound results. My cousin looked at the ultrasound results. They both said the same thing that I had a 98% chance of it being benign, but they both said, you know, absolutely. You should get the biopsy done. Fine. Mm -hmm. Great. Let's do it. I get the biopsy done the next week. Now we're in late April at this point. I get the biopsy done and the doctor, the endocrinologist calls me the next day after 5 p.m. Again, (laughs) very bad sign when your phone rings after 5 p.m. from a doctor. And she says that, you know, unfortunately it's come back as cancer. I had a three centimeter mass on the left side of my thyroid. It had spread to the right side of my thyroid. They're going to have to remove the entire thyroid. And the protocol for treating, yeah, the protocol for treating thyroid cancer is that they start with surgery. They can't start with radiation. They can't start with uh, chemo. And so they needed to start with surgery, but the whole Mm -hmm. state had shut down for surgeries. Right. So I couldn't even schedule the surgery. So now Mm -hmm. I'm sitting here, you know, literally sitting here in this chair because this is now the you know central command of right because now everybody's
0: at home yeah yeah we're all in
1: quarantine (laughs) we're all working from home I basically hadn't seen another person except for my husband in like two months at this point and I now know I have cancer cannot get the surgery done to have to treat the cancer and still trying to deal with all of the intrinsic you know ins and outs of Uh, managing the company and transitioning the company and applying for the PPP loan, which is just a complete nightmare and all at the same time. So it was just a huge level of stress, excuse me. But after I got the diagnosis, I started creating a transition plan for leadership for interim power while I was out. Cause I knew eventually I was going to go out on leave. So I started working on that plan. And so once the governor announced that the state was open for surgeries my surgeon called me and said, you know, do you want the first surgery, the first day that surgeries are open um, at MGH Massachusetts General Hospital? I said, absolutely. I want the first one. So I had two days to, he called me on a Wednesday. I had the Thursday and the Friday to call all my clients, tell my staff, implement the transition plan and move everything over and then cut myself off completely. And one of the most, one of the best things I did was when I implemented the transition plan is that I said, absolutely no way nobody can contact me. There is no reason to contact me. I need to get better. And the most important thing I can do right now is get better. And there should be no reason to contact me while I'm out. I plan to come back. I will be coming back. Um, you just need to let me deal with this. Good so for I you. So I was out. Yeah, it's a really hard decision to make, but I think it's the right decision to make as a leader. And uh, I was out on leave for three months while I had surgery, and then I recovered from surgery. And then I, after surgery, they did pathology on the tumor or tumors, and they found that it was more aggressive than they originally anticipated. They also found during surgery that it had spread past my thyroid and it had entered the lymph nodes. And so they had to take out some lymph nodes. Yeah. After surgery, I went for radiation, which Mm -hmm. is terrible. And I don't think anybody quite tells you how bad radiation is. It's really quite bad. And so that took me a very, very long time to recover from. And then I came back to work at about three month mark, but I came back part time. And I'm mm-hmm. just about full-time now, but I'm not at the point I was before. I just don't have the energy I had before. Right, just, right. It's a really, you know, just like we were talking about before the show, my body's different, things feel different. You know, my body needs different yeah. things and every day is a different struggle. And so obviously we're still in quarantine and things are still different. And it's, you know, it's a different struggle than it used to be. It's the difficulties of running a company during
0: a pandemic plus. <laughs> Plus, well, right. having us this health... having cancer on top of it, right? Yeah.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So I'm having a very uh, interesting 2020. <laughs> Maybe that's the best way of saying it.
0: <laughs> I think we're all having a very interesting 2020. I think 2020 is hitting people in different ways, so many different ways, and we can't. Absolutely we can't even begin to understand each other's stories until we're able to come together and go well this is what happened to me during the time that i was away from everybody and this is what happened to me and this is this is how i dealt with it this is how and that's when we're really going to be able to see just how impactful all of this that's going on is i said to my husband the other day i said you know I, I think we're all in a collective state of anxiety. Mm-hmm. We're all, we're, we, you know, we're probably at different levels, but we are all experiencing this very steady stream of anxiety that is really strange because I don't think that this, it's been that way before, not in our lifetimes. Right? Yeah.
1: I, I saw something, I think it was earlier in the pandemic when there were, it was the the early stage of the the riots and the kind of social justice, the wave during the pandemic. And somebody was saying, well, we're all, you know, we're all in this together. And somebody else said, you know, it's not that we're all in this together. It's that we're Mm -hmm. all in the same storm, but we're not in the same boat. I think that's a really smart way of saying it. It's like, yes, we are all in the same storm. And I don't think there's Mm -hmm. actually ever been another time in history where we're all in the same storm, but my boat is really different than your boat not better it's not worse it's just a really different boat and somebody else has a way worse boat than mine somebody else has a yacht somebody else has a life raft like it's right yeah and you and it's just to be cognizant of that because I think people are forgetting that everybody's situation right now is really different people's financial situations are really different from each other people's Mm -hmm. home situations are really different if you had a very difficult home situation and now suddenly you can't leave your home that is a Mm. really big stressor so absolutely you know. Yes. Yeah, I think it's you know I get a lot of people saying to me oh my god you have the most difficult situation I've ever heard of and I just really try to say like it it absolutely is not the most difficult situation right now. Absolutely not. It is no right. way there is no way I have the most difficult situation. Right. It's a a difficult story in a like a
0: sea of C, difficult stories right yes. now. Yes. I just just read an article that was talking about how the writer she says you know her mother had had just passed on and she walked she was going to work and her boss looked at her and said well you know make sure that you leave that grieving at the door and so her article it was about race relations and it was about Mm -hmm. how the you know the black community right now not only is experiencing this pandemic with everybody yeah you know and you know i'm black and brown people but not just experiencing this pandemic but they're also experiencing this emotional trauma as well as in you know watching different people get get gunned down or snuffed out yep right in front of us and and having to navigate the feelings that that brings up or the fact that you know people that you know you feel afraid for so there's there's that anxiety there's the anxiety about the the pandemic there's there's fear and real angst about about who's going to be next and why when there's really no real reason and all of this comes together and creates a situation where many companies who are mostly white don't understand the trauma that is happening. And therefore, it's almost like, well, you know, oh, you're back now. So you must feel better. And let's just get on with the way, you know, the way things are. But you and I both know, even you're going through something, it doesn't just go away. It's, it's Correct. there. And it's, and it's something that you have to address and allow to clear before you can say, yeah, yeah, everything's good. because this, this is not right.
1: Correct. I mean, I think you're raising such a great point. I think, you know, it's a really privileged position to come in to work and say, you should leave that trauma at the door. I think that, you know, we, as you know, coming from a privileged position as a white person, we need to acknowledge the fact that you're even able to say that. Right. That's that as an employer, that's horrifying that people say that it's just, I think, you know, in addition to that, my hope would be that as employers, we recognize, and I don't know if people are actually recognizing this, but I would hope they are, that not only is there a trauma that people are suffering right now, people of color, black and brown mm. people, marginalized mm. groups, there is trauma that has been suffered for generations. Yes. And that this is Generation. a under, under, like it is a generational trauma. Mm-hmm. It has been a current that has Mm -hmm. been running through the generations and has been existing for people every single day of their lives. So you are coming to work every day, experiencing trauma before this.
0: And now
1: it is literally in everybody's face. Mm -hmm. So people are discovering racism for the first time, which is to me, amazing that they're discovering it for the first time, but it's also great that they're discovering <laughs> yes. it. Like right. I think it's like it's this
0: fantastic. two-edged sword. Yeah. It's Correct. like, Oh, Correct. it's been here, but okay. I'm so glad your eyes are open now. I am.
1: Yeah. And <laughs> totally. And like yeah. for example, like I follow a lot of people in sports and athletics, and they tend tend to be white, right? So I do CrossFit and I do running to very, very, very white sports. And somebody that I follow in CrossFit who is very, very well known. And has a huge following Um, right after what happened with George Floyd. He put out this like 10 minute video that was unedited. It was just him speaking into the camera on Instagram. And I give him a lot of credit for this, where he just said, I thought racism wasn't a problem anymore. Mm. I was wrong.
0: Mm.
1: I take the the responsibility for that. Mm -hmm. And here is how I want to learn from that. Mm. And I have to say with the audience he has, I was hugely impressed and I was like this is Mm -hmm. a moment where like I am shocked you didn't think there was racism but like Mm -hmm. for you to publicly use your platform to say I was wrong yes here's how I was wrong Mm -hmm. I run multiple companies and here are the steps I'm going to take to deal with this professionally Mm -hmm. and as a social media, you know, air quotes, influencer, influencer. I want to use my platform to say, we have a problem. Mm. We have a serious problem. And here is how we need to talk about it. I don't know the solution, but talking Mm -hmm. about it and recognizing it is one of the ways. And I was really impressed by that because, Mm -hmm. you know, me screening from the rafters, the like, progressive, Mm -hmm. liberal, Mm-hmm. Jew from like the New York area. It's not gonna. <laughs> nobody wants to hear from me. No one to hear from me. Oh, <laughs> but geez. I think when it's coming from you know a cisgender white heterosexual man who's you know incredibly privileged who has a mm. huge platform, that's a really big deal.
0: Yeah. Um So sure. You know sure. but on, um, and that's you know, and honestly, a lot of the a lot of the change has to come from there. Hmm because it really a does. lot of because a lot of the trauma that has been inflicted over the years has come from there. Absolutely. So that, you know, someone said to me the other day on on Instagram and this is how you always know that you've kind of crossed some kind of threshold is when somebody comes for you after you say something. <laughs> they at you. <laughs> they come yeah, they uh. Um, You know, I posted something about, you know, when people say I'm not racist versus being an anti-racist. And I posted, you know, several things there. And one of them was, I say I think people who say that they're not racist and do nothing, are part of the problem because they're the ones who are sitting there and they're going racism doesn't exist you're just making it up in your mind they're the ones who are gaslighting us and who are you know doing all these things and this person did he come he he said something to me and I thought to myself oh my gosh he's gaslighting me like he said he said you know calm down that's like one as if I was upset like I was doing something right so I just Wrote something you don't know me, but you just told me to calm down. Gaslight right. 101.
1: <laughs> As my husband says, never in the history of being told to calm down has anyone, has anyone calmed, calmed
0: down. down? Absolutely, Correct. yeah, so. <laughs> You know, so for him, he was like, well, I didn't do anything. So why should I hold the responsibility? I said, no, you didn't do anything and you don't hold the responsibility right now if you didn't do anything. But you know what responsibility you do have is to fix what's already been messed up so that going forward, it can be better.
1: You have the responsibility you know? as a member of the society, <laughs> society. to learn about the problems, so that in the future you can make better decisions.
0: You can make it better, and I thought exactly, how was that not clear? Like I, I don't know, but you know, as... I, am, I get it. I do. <laughs> I understand.
1: I sometimes I sit here and shake my head and go, okay, well, well I'm going to move on. Cause I can't, I can't fix everybody. So I can have conversations like sure. this. It's amazing. It makes me happy because then I realize I'm not the only one sitting here realizing that gender <laughs> equality and racial equality and anti-racism and all these things yeah. are incredibly important, but right. you only have so much energy in the day. So. Absolutely.
0: And that's why I say to people I say all the time, like, I do not argue with people who have shown me that they don't have the capacity for a discussion. They want exactly. to argue. They want to argue in the light that they are right. Correct. You know, Basically, Absolutely. this person kept coming at me, you know, saying, well, why do you put the X in women? It's not, you know, cor- correct in, you know, grammatically or what have you. And then he's like, I'm not, you know, and I, and, and I just stopped talking. Right. I just let him talk because I'm like, you know what? Clearly he needs to feel his importance and he needs to talk. Let him talk. The minute he attacks me really like viciously or someone else, he's out of here because I can't have that. Mm -hmm. I'm going to allow people to have discussions with you. But once you attack somebody, you're out of here because we, we have to have discussions. You have to learn how to learn, how to, have a conversation or a discussion yep. <laughs> versus so, absolutely so as the coo of a marketing agency that I know is working and creating a a team of inclusivity. What do you propose other companies do? Like I feel companies like yours are like an island unto themselves.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we are sometimes <laughs> Yeah.
0: <laughs> I want it to not be an island. I want it I to know. be more of a continent. And then I know I'm the islands, right? <laughs> yeah. So what is, what advice? What are, what are companies missing in terms of being able to develop or grow truly inclusive companies? I think there's a
1: lot of things that we as leaders could be doing better to be more inclusive. I think a lot of it starts at the top. I think. Some of the problems stem from a real difficulty in understanding that it's not a me society, it's an us society. In marketing specifically, there is this old idea that it's hugely competitive and you can't talk to your competition and I'm out to get you and it's incredibly cutthroat and never, ever, ever refer business. And it's, At the top tends to be an all boys club, not Mm. lower down in a company. So to be a woman in executive leadership at a marketing agency is unusual. There are women in executive leadership at marketing agencies. It's just more unusual. And if you are a woman, you tend to be older and you tend to be incredibly cutthroat. And I, you know, I give those women a lot of credit, but it's also incredibly white. It's a very white industry, but it's also created this idea that we don't talk to each other. And Mm -hmm. we only hire people. I mean, I think this is a problem in general in corporate America, but we only hire people that look like us and act like us and are like us. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if you ever watch the show Mad Men, it's a lot of that, right? I'm going to hire this guy that was in my fraternity at this. Ivy League school because where you went to college means so much and right blah 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 and you know I've been doing this a long time you know I'm 39 years old I I've, I've been at this company for 4 years and I've been in executive leadership for a very long time. I have been in management and leading teams my entire career, and I am here to tell you it absolutely does not matter if you have a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a PhD. It matters how well you do your job, and there are skills and traits for doing an amazing job at a marketing agency or at other corporations or nonprofits that have nothing to do with where you went to school or if you went to school and it is something that is a huge set of blinders up for a lot of people at corporations right Um, and I just don't know where this idea came from I just I'm gonna definitely ruffle feathers with this but I just saw this post (sighs) makes me crazy when
0: people ruffle feathers I'm gonna ruffle some feathers it's fine
1: (laughs) ah so we do not require a bachelor's degree to work at Vision Advertising. We require, it depends on the position. We require a certain amount of you know, work experience because my feeling is you have to have a certain amount of maturity, right? Sure. So there are certain things you have to learn. Yeah. You, I can't, you know, you have to be able to keep up. Yeah. And I don't care if you did that at work or at school or whatever. It doesn't matter to me, but- And we're very open about that. I have a master's degree, but that's what worked for me and that's not for everyone. But I just saw this post in Boston Businesswomen, which is a very large online Facebook group that talked about how they were, it's a job posting and there was a long conversation under the post about how they wanted to know why the position required mandatory a bachelor's degree. And I don't know if you saw this post and it was a long conversation about it. And the CEO who had posted The um, job said, well, my investors are going to require this. I have a bachelor's degree and I don't understand why you would even question it. Why is this something that you wouldn't want? And in my mind, this is a barrier to entry for diversity. And this is a real problem. Not everyone has access to go to a four-year college and not going to a four-year college does not make you better or worse for a job.
0: It's right. Just, this you is, know. this is definitely something that I like to talk about. It's because I think that there's this disconnect between having this bachelor's or having, you know, this certain thing here it versus having the talent to be able Correct. to do the job. It Absolutely. is so much more important to find someone who, like you said, has the talent and has the maturity to do the job than it is to find someone who has a bachelor's. But understand also that some of those requirements are only put on at a, a certain level and only to weed out certain people, air quotes, right?
1: Absolutely, because I completely I did agree with you.
0: to someone that said that, Oh, the CFO thought that this guy had a penchant for numbers and made him the C C uh, CEO. No, the CEO thought this guy had a penchant for numbers, made him the CFO. He did not have a degree in that area. He didn't even have mm-hmm. experience in that area, but it was like, oh, he's good with numbers, put him in there. This other guy, oh, he's really good with, with um, people, put him in HR, make him the, the vice president of human resources. So that requirement quote unquote, is not, is only there to say, well, you don't have this. It is not necessarily there there to say, well, you have this specific thing. So now we're going to put you in this specific position.
1: It's really, there's this idea that, and I don't, you know, I'm not a white man, so I can only theorize, but I think there's this idea that like, well, I went to these schools, so, and I'm good at my job. So I'm only going to hire from these schools or, you know, somebody with this background right. I worked I, I worked at a company where I was the only person who had ever worked at the company who did not go to private school wow I have a I had I went to public k-12 yeah. yeah public college yeah public school for my master's degree I'm a I'm a child of the public school like, system yeah. through and through so is my husband. We preach the public school. Like I am all about the public school. <laughs> I volunteer for Framingham State University. I volunteer for UMass Amherst. I am all about public school because, you know, that's the most accessible way to get an education. So I was the only person that had ever been hired at this company. And this is a not a new company. This company has been around for a yeah. long time. Only person yeah. who had ever been hired, who didn't have a bachelor's degree from a private university, and went to private high school. I right. don't have either of those things. I don't know why that would ever be something that should make you better at a job. And then once I got into the position, I realized that, okay, you now keeping in mind, your listeners can't see me. I am as white as they come. <laughs> and I was a devo- I was the diversity hire. Because, because I went to a public woman. school and I, mean, I was a woman. <laughs> I was literally the diversity hire and they were putting me on senior staff because it was a all white, cisgendered, heterosexual, Christian male staff. And so I was the token hire. Right. And that is a problem. Yes. That is a problem of epic proportions. And when I got in there and we started doing more hiring And I started, you know, I was involved in the hiring process. These weren't people that were going to work for me, but they consulted me because I was on senior staff. And I remember talking to the CEO and he was like, well, we don't want to hire this person literally said to me, we don't want to even talk to this person. They went to public school. And I was like, how is that even a consideration? He's like, well, I went to private school and I just think you get a better education. I go, I went to public school.
0: You get, and you, you hire pay more me. money. <laughs> right. I don't, yeah. I literally, my husband
1: went to Holy Cross for uh, one or two years and he hated it. So he left Yeah, and he ended up at UMass Amherst, which I think at the time was like a quarter of the cost. And he loved it. It's just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, in my opinion, you get. Personally, and I'm biased, but I think you get more out of a public school education because you learn to work for what you're getting, and you have to work the system, and it's not all handed to you. But hey, you know, I'm all about public school education, so what do I know? (laughs) But I also have people that work for me that went to private college, went to public college, didn't go to college. I've had interns at all different levels that dropped out, that came back. I had a girl that worked for me. This is a long time ago who was a co-op student where you're required to have an internship, full-time internship. You're doing that instead of going to your classes that semester. Mm -hmm. She was at Wentworth University, which is a very expensive private university in Boston. And Mm -hmm. she was really struggling to pay the bills. She was from the inner city and she was just really, really struggling to put one foot in front of the other. And she ended up dropping out of school in her senior year and we hired her Mm -hmm. And that's what, and she never got her bachelor's and I think she should have finished or gone to community college and finished or something just to like wrap up the bachelor's Mm because she had put so much time in, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: that's what worked for her. And there's just no one solution to this. When you hire people, you need to be hiring them for the skills they bring to the job. I think one of the things that happens when people do hiring is they're looking for this one-to-one solution for you used to do this other thing. So I could bring you in to do this new thing, but that's just never the case. I look for a personality match. Mm -hmm. Are you going to work well with the team? Are -hmm. you going to work well under my leadership style? Because that's a really big thing. I think Mm -hmm. that's something that's not often talked about in hiring. I look for people that are really great at learning and solving problems, mm-hmm. um, and that has nothing to do with the job you previously had. I mm-hmm. look for people that are great writers, strong copy editors, understand what an Oxford comma is, that can speak truth to power, that mm-hmm. um, are not afraid, that want to have a voice in a meeting, that mm-hmm. um, want to bring new ideas to the table. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you used to work at Michael's mm-hmm. and docked picture frames. You know, do you have Mm -hmm. a really good eye for things? Do you Mm -hmm. have a creative thought? One of the best people that work for me never had a corporate job before, ever, Mm. never. He used to uh, work in the deli department at a restaurant. Mm -hmm. He just, he is an amazing technical writer. And now, and he's been promoted multiple times and Mm -hmm. he is, I literally could not run the company without him. Mm -hmm. And he never had a corporate job before he worked for
0: us. Right. See, yeah. And that, you know, and that's, it's, I think it's so clear sometimes. Yeah, I was thinking the other day, how crazy unfair or how, how, how crazy it is that people don't notice that if someone does not have the ability to pay The money that it takes to pay to go to a private college, then they believe that that person doesn't have the talent that they need, which is crazy. But this is where a lot of companies get stuck. You know, you take the law firms or the accounting firms or the medical profession, you take these professions and they're all going to the, let's say they want to hire some Black Employees. Well, we're going to the HBCUs because we're first that we know that there are a lot of Black students there. Yep. That the pool for the people that they're looking for is very small in those schools because those schools are a very small correct section of the Black community. They won't go to the community colleges where people are going so that they can get their education because they know that they have the and they have the gumption and the will and the drive and the talent to do certain things, but they're not going to go to those schools because of the stigma air quotes that has been placed on the, on those schools. So now they're like, well, we just can't find the diverse talent. It's like, well, cause you're looking in the wrong place. One, number two, well, we don't want to have to lower our standards, which is, code for we don't want to hire anyone who hasn't gone to some private school that they couldn't pay for well that's a bias that's totally wrong because what makes you think that you have to lower your standards in order to go to these other places to get these students to get these talented people it blows my right. mind that people, there's they no connection. Their connection is never made with that. I said to someone that things have changed. Some people never went with those changes. They only adjusted the language and the ways that they still executed what they wanted to execute. And some of the, what we're talking about right now is some of that. Oh, well, if they didn't go to this particular school... They must not be able to actually do what we want them to do.
1: Keep up with it. And it's like, okay, so if you're looking for a larger, like a quote, more diverse intern group for your accounting firm or your, you know, corporate, whatever firm, but you're only recruiting from Ivy league for your internship for the summer. And that internship is a feeder for a job. Mm -hmm. Well, then of course you're only going to get. The people that have access, and I think access is a huge thing, Mm -hmm. um, access to and financial ability to pay for an Ivy League education. Mm -hmm. Um, You're missing out on a large population of people that just do not have access to for a variety of reasons to that kind of education or, and not for nothing, I don't actually think the smartest people go to Ivy Leagues. You have the people that test the best that go to Ivy Leagues. I basically almost didn't graduate high school. I'm an incredibly bad student, really, really terrible student. I am not built for school. Really, I have a master's degree, but I am a really bad student. I'm also a really bad employee. I'm a much better leader. So, you know, you look at me now and I'm almost 40 and I I lead a company and I have this, you know, amazing CV and I'm all accomplished. But I am here to tell you that it is not a straight path. And you do not have to have, you know, 17 different extracurricular activities and all of these, you know, Ivy League this and that. And it it, it really was not that pathway for me. But mm-hmm. what I am incredibly privileged to have is I'm white. I have a white sounding name. I do mm-hmm. not have a Jewish sounding name, even though I am Jewish. I pass looking not Jewish.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I'm incredibly well spoken. Mm-hmm. So those are things that I should not take for granted. And if you have things where you can quote pass, mm-hmm. those are a privilege. Mm-hmm. And you know, I think talking about bias, there's so much bias in looking at resumes and being like, "Well, that person's name, I can't pronounce it, and I don't want to hire somebody whose name I can't pronounce." And mm. you know, they're going to have an accent, and I'm not going to understand them. And da 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 da. Have you been so on the phone on with them? So have, have you been on the phone with them? Have you talked to them? Do you know if they're amazing or not? You know. There's so many things mm-hmm. that employers are not considering. And I think, unfortunately, another thing that happens is that, and this happened to me when I was trying to switch industries, is that, you know, you're applying for big jobs or at big companies and they're using programs to, to match words from your resume to the words in the job description. And if you are not a one-to-one match, then you're just put out with the trash, which yep. is not giving you the best match no. necessarily you're just getting somebody who used to do the job right so
0: yeah it's it's sad and I understand that HR has they they get tons of resumes that they have to sift through but at the same time I feel like that's your job absolutely and so if this is something that's important it's important to get as uh, as many people across the board that you can find and to sift those jobs, those resumes through specific criteria, not how the name sounds, not, you know, not if they have, you know, the specific type of education that you're looking for, but more so, I want to see more resumes come through, go through that have more of an idea of what a person is capable of doing. You know the, the the resumes. I think resumes are gradually changing, but they still want you to list all the things that you did at your your, your previous job. What I prefer is to say, okay, what list the talents that you have, or list the abilities yep. that you believe that you have, and why. Like, where did you get this ability? Because you know what, yep. for me, I've been planning events for my family for years right I've never done it necessarily professionally so it doesn't necessarily show up on my resume but I'm really good at it so it's one of those things it's like so can I just put that on there maybe I should put from you know the time I was 14 to the time I'm like to present I've been event planner for you know my my I don't know, but it's just, you just wonder, how do you get these resumes through these filters that are put in place to keep them out?
1: I think it's, I think it's hard. I think a lot of it. And when I have conversations, I usually tend to talk to young women because I, you know, I have a lot of conversations with women's groups, but just in general, the conversations I have, you know, these days, I think the system has to be changed, but I think one of the more direct ways to bypass that is a lot of networking, a lot of conversations personally with people. Um, get in front of the right people. And these days there's more options to do that, you know, through social media, through introductions, going on webinars, following up with people. I think there's a lot of tenacity you need to have as an individual. I had a job when I was earlier in my career that I got, and I really think it's the job that jump-started me. I worked for five years as a professional event planner and um, Mm -hmm. marketer fundraiser for a large nonprofit in Boston. I had zero years experience. Mm-hmm. none it was not the beginning of my career but I had no experience and when I applied I said I was like listen I said in my cover letter I don't have any professional experience doing this but in college mm-hmm. I spent you know this amount of time planning events and I did mm-hmm. this and I explained I like walked them through the transferable skills and there was somebody on the other end reading it like a real live human being reading the right. um, cover letter and they were yeah. like okay let's have this conversation.'" And right. once I just need you to get me on the phone, once you right. get me on the phone, I'm a lock, I'll get the right. job. And right. so I think the thing that happens as somebody who's applying for the job is sometimes we focus so much on creating this very corporate resume, but yes, you should create like a good standout resume. But I also think the cover letter, you cover need letter. to like, don't do a formulaic cover letter. You need to do something that really says, like, I acknowledge that my, my resume might not show that you're looking for this, this, and this, but here are the transferable skills I have. Mm -hmm. Um, You really need to, you know, make yourself stand out. Now, as an employer, one of the things I always look for is, are you following the guidelines I asked you to follow? Because Mm -hmm. following instructions is almost more important than did you spell things correctly? Like if Mm -hmm. you are not sending me what I'm asking you to send me, I don't even Mm -hmm. want to have the conversation with you. Like right. if I asked for five references and you're sending me two references, you're out with the trash because mm-hmm. following instructions, more important.
0: Because it's but something have... that is, that is part of the, the position exactly. of the job. It's so important. Exactly
1: yeah. Following instructions, I would say we're a marketing agency. So design and creativity is so important. Do you have a professional headshot for your LinkedIn profile? Now it doesn't have to be somebody who took a professional headshot. You could have somebody with an iPhone use portrait mode and take a nice photo of you. But are you taking yourself seriously and you have a nice photo? It's, you know, there's just a lot of ways to set yourself up to look good. And I really, I do not care. Again, I do not care if you went and got a bachelor's degree. I've had lots of great interns and different people at different points in their career intern for me or work for me with different degrees of education and formal education. And some people with the most amazing private school education have been horrendous interns. And Mm -hmm. some people with like far less formal education have been some of the most amazing interns. Mm -hmm. So, but it's much more about that professional presentation Mm -hmm. and being transparent in your communication and Mm -hmm. being a great communicator. Mm -hmm. but really are, is it a one page resume? Is it a one page cover letter? Are you following the directions? Like to Mm -hmm. me as an employer, that is so much more important. I had somebody apply for a job a couple of years ago and she built a website for the job application and Mm -hmm. it was not an entry level job. And she was entry level. And I ended up hiring her because it was such a great and creative way of applying for the job. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, you can get, I think as the person applying, you just need to like, how can you show that you are the right candidate? Mm-hmm. So, and just, you know, sometimes it's throw things at the wall and see what sticks. Unfortunately. <laughs> well, <hopefully,
0: laughs> yeah. And hopefully what you're, you know, the, the, the company you're throwing it at is looking for that is, is- correct. Because if, they, if they're not looking for that, they're just going to say, oh gosh, no, let's keep moving. You know, it's Correct. You, It's really important who's on the other end. Absolutely. So that's, you know, and that's the big challenge, isn't it? The big challenge is getting people on the other end to understand that there has to be a diverse, there has to be a more open funnel mm-hmm. than there is right now, Absolutely. Right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I really agree with that. Yeah, and that there's really an importance to creating that larger funnel.
0: So how are you feeling about the future of business in terms of, (laughs) (laughs) you know, in terms of being more equitable and inclusive? (sighs) Are you feeling... (laughs) Am I feeling what? uh, Optimistic or are you feeling... is, are do, are you feeling that maybe that there's more sh- a shift to go in more of that direction or what?
1: You know, I try to be hopeful. Unfortunately, our, com- you know, our country is going through such turmoil right now and yeah. strife and, you know, like you said, trauma with everything yeah. happening right now. But yeah, I try to look at the silver lining and the silver lining is this eye opening experience, which I hope for some companies is authentic rather than just showcased, and that there's, you know, real actual investigation of how they can be doing more, both in terms of hiring, doing more for the current employees, what can they be doing rather than just saying, well, here's an email address and you can email us with your thoughts. And I I really it is so awful, I have to say, when companies do that and they think they're doing something and it's really just putting it back on the traumatized on the, person. Right. It yes. is. Oh, it's it throwing is absolutely... the ball there and
0: it's like, well, we sent them the email, but we didn't get any responses. Well, really? Exactly.
1: Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you're creating the expectation that the work needs to be done by the traumatized party. You're yeah. re-victimizing somebody mm-hmm. and it's just not the way to do it. -hmm. Um, My hope is that this ongoing conversation will continue the pressure on corporations to create more equitable hiring policies, more transparent and equitable um, workplaces. You know, that's the hope, obviously. I think that this country has hundreds and hundreds of years of, you know, racial uh, inequality and trauma to deal with. Mm -hmm. And that's not going to happen, you know, in nine months. So I think supporting companies and efforts to authentically and really make some change is good. And I think understanding that people are going to make mistakes. Sure. You know, and as long as the company is really authentically trying to do good work, it's okay. People make mistakes. I make mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. Yeah. It's just, it's just like that, you know, that what I mentioned earlier, the guy went on. Instagram with his 10 minute video and really said like, I was wrong. Here's what I'm trying to do. Right. I think that's amazing. I think, you know, people make mistakes. Company makes companies make mistakes. Just acknowledge the mistake. Don't try to cover it up and, you know, pivot and that's okay. It's very hard to take a large company and say, Oh my God, we've been, (laughs) we've been incredibly racist in our hiring structures for 50 (laughs) years. How can we fix that? That's really hard. But that just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do something about it.
0: You know. exactly exactly yeah just because it's hard doesn't mean you shouldn't do it absolutely and yeah. you you also know that because you're training for what for <laughs> right this country right. no uh, marathon marathon I'm training for a
1: marathon yes yes, yes. yes.
0: so you know <laughs> there you yeah, go exactly exactly oh gosh so we've talked a lot about a lot of things so we're gonna wind it down a little bit here sure get back to you know a little bit of a lighter lighter feel for things <laughs> okay we're in the same state hopefully we'll be able to get together at some point yeah. and we'll be celebrating so let's say we're celebrating we're celebrating in like uh, I don't know two years two three years because who knows when we're going to be out of lockdown but yeah. what will we be celebrating as far as you can as you as you can tell we're oh, something has shifted what is what are we celebrating
1: in two in two years ish uh well i would hope that we'd be celebrating a new president um but i don't want to jinx myself i'm knocking on wood as i say that <laughs> i i would hope that in two years the world is safer I would hope that we are celebrating being able to actually touch and be around other real live human beings that you don't live with. That'd yeah. be great. I really miss people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I miss. I I would honestly celebrate wearing high heels and lipstick again and not wearing a mask. Oh um, my gosh! Yes. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I would like. I think I would celebrate just like going to a cocktail party just had to for the sake of wearing the cocktail dress at this point yes. um yeah I think that I, I think something like that just to like have a sense of like as much as I've been enjoying wearing sweatpants every day I think I would enjoy like doing something else
0: yeah so, yeah, yeah with other people <laughs> De- definitely would be celebrating that for sure absolutely yes. yes and so my final question that I like to ask all my guests is what is your favorite dish oh food? oh
1: well food tastes very different to me these days um thanks yes the uh,
0: <laughs> yes feeling.
1: Uh, yeah it's tough I, so I have a really good friend who is, she owns her own business. She's really amazing. And she is, in addition to being a badass businesswoman, she also is a vegan gluten-free, she's both vegan and gluten-free, and she is really an amazing chef, but not like professionally. And I am, yeah. I have celiac and I uh, dairy does not agree with me these days. So she makes this vegan gluten-free mac and cheese in like a casserole dish and she sticks it under the broiler and gets it all like burnt at the edges, which is my favorite thing in the entire world. And it (laughs) is my favorite thing. It's, I think it's my favorite thing because I love mac and cheese, but I can't have mac and cheese anymore. So Mm. it's really like yummy, creamy, comforting, like home cooking deliciousness. And it's, like the most amazing thing in the whole entire world and it just feels like honestly it feels like love that's what it feels like because it's made by a human and it somebody had to really put a lot of effort into it and it's so like just warm it feels like being wrapped up in an embrace
0: that's Mm. what
1: it
0: feels like yeah nice I love it that's awesome well, that sounds wonderful. And I hope you have a lot of that in your future that you can actually you. taste because I know <laughs> that feeling too. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh gosh. And I wish you continued health as you you know continue your battle. But thank you for taking the time to be here with me today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I really
0: appreciate it. This has been wonderful. It has. So thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, please be sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share. It would also mean the world to me if you became a patron over at Patreon. The information is in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.